back this is valentine's day or it's our valentine's day show valentine's day is more properly on the 14th of february um we're not going to have time on today's program to do what i thought might have been a long discussion of the battle of the sexes but uh, we're gonna have to put that off that actually is a timeless thing it doesn't necessarily have to coincide with anything valentine's day or anything else but uh, let's actually air a commentary we did on capital public radio last year on this very topic On February 15th, in ancient Rome, priests gathered where Romulus was supposedly suckled by a she-wolf to start the festival of the Lupercalia, a fertility ritual where gals let guys lash them with leather strips. The lashes were februatio. February is named after the popular event. As Rome was Christianized later, a bishop named Valentine defied a ban on marriage that was designed to aid army recruitment. For this, he got condemned. Pre-execution, he sent a flower to a woman he'd fallen for with the note, from your Valentine. The bishop was later made a saint, and his day was substituted for the Lupercalia. Valentine's Day evolved, part pagan and part Christian, into a confusion of cards, gifts, winged cherubs, hearts, and flowers. It's an eclectic but solid mix of tradition. How solid? Well, my girlfriend once canceled a trip in retribution over my neglect of a timely bouquet. Par for the course, I'd say, for a holiday rooted in flagellation. But gentlemen, I advise you not to repeat my error. Show you care or else. And ladies, if your fellow forgets his chivalry, Please accept his IOU. I'm sure he'll make good on it. So there it is. It all began with the Festival of the Lupercalia. The things you learn on public radio. I know that's why you all listen. You know, I don't know where to begin. We've only got a few minutes to fill in here on this subject. I guess all I want to say uh, in, in the time we're going to allot today is... To quote from an article that I've been sitting around waiting to use, this is dated 11-10-01. Uh, Dateline Boston Associated Press, researchers said Wednesday in the journal Neuron that feminine beauty affects a man's brain at a very primal level, not on some higher, more intellectual plane. They took 20 guys at MIT and showed them pictures of women and then measured the responses inside the brains of these fellows using computer imaging, and they found out that beautiful women activated circuits that are the same circuits that are activated in the presence of food or cocaine. Clearly, this is something that is hardwired. The researchers concluded that um, arguments that beauty is nothing more than a product of society's values is wrong. 
Now, I'm keenly interested to find out whether a follow-up study was done using female volunteers. I don't know the answer to that at this point, but uh, by the time we talk about this again, I will. There have been numerous studies done recently on the subject of what uh, makes us attractive to other people, and one of the shocking findings was that average was actually the key to appearing attractive. Computer modeling showed that when they would average down a face and give it a youthful appearance, it would turn out to be irresistible. And I'm really sorry we don't have time to devote this. I've got a pile in front of me that's just marvelous. An article by Jeffrey Kluger that appeared in Discover Magazine. Uh, uh, Actually, in 1996, I saved this article about uh, internet dating, which was uh, then a new thing. It's quite, uh, quite mainstreamed in the meantime. Another article worthy of a quoting would be the June 5th, 2003 Sacramento News and Review article by a David Kulchik about uh, the mating rituals in Sacramento. It was called the Summer uh, Dating Rituals then because it was a June article as summer was upon us, but it certainly would uh, apply equally well uh, uh, in February. I start off with a quote I like. Love seems the swiftest, but is the slowest of all growths. No man or woman really knows what perfect love is until they've been married a quarter of a century. That's from Mr. Mark Twain. Well, I think we will put a call into David Kulchik. The News Review has been quite excellent about having their correspondents come talk to us. We've spoken to Jeff Kearns, and we've had Cosmo Garvin on more than once, so maybe we'll, uh, we'll ask David to speak to us on this subject. But let me close um, this topic today with an article that was on uh, on the web last year titled 10 Taboo Topics for the First Dates. I think some of these are worthy of note. This article listed 10 taboo topics. I only want to mention four that probably are worth avoiding on your first date. All right, number one would be in my list would be heartbreaks. Everyone's had their heart broken. But when you're spending time with someone new, you need to enjoy the present, not wallow in the past. So if you're not ready to do that, maybe you shouldn't be dating yet. Uh, Health is something you maybe want to avoid on the first date. As the article said, please, no descriptions of operations, digestive problems, or skin rashes. This is a date, not a phone call to your doctor. Diet might be worth avoiding on the first date. Um, Opening up with, so I see you enjoy swallowing chunks of dead animals. (laughs) May not be such a good thing to say. Or maybe another drink. Guess you're not the designated driver this evening, huh? Good to steer clear of that. But the one that I really think is worth avoiding on the first date is starting sentences like, you know, my therapist says I, okay, now there may be nothing wrong with being in therapy, but on a date, you know, this is a date, not a confessional. Avoid that one. All right. We're going to come back to the subject of love and romance in the weeks to come. Uh... Because I think we owe that to you. We're not going to give you a Valentine's Day special, so we'll spread this out a bit. It's a topic that I think interests everyone. All right, we mentioned at the top of the show we wanted to talk about uh, Karen Hughes, the the Bush aide that appeared at the Mondavi Center here in Davis on Monday. We now have on the line Steve Valentino, KDVS's own news director, to inform us about that little shindig. Steve, are you there? Well, good evening, Doug. Thanks for having me on the program again. Well, uh, we're glad to have you back. Uh, what did you learn from Karen Hughes? Well, I learned first that I was a conservative, actually. Oh, really? Because uh, uh-huh. I went and I asked her a question at the end of her speech at the Mandavi Center. Yeah. And I, I asked her, you know, I kind of framed the question about um, fiscal conservatives 
being upset with the $2.4 trillion deficit the Bush administration is laden us with yeah. uh, when he professes to be a, uh, uh, an advocate of smaller government. And she actually labeled me as a conservative and said, you know, that, oh, well, conservatives and liberals are angry at this president, too, and then proceeded to go kind of tiptoe around the issue and never really answered my question. <laughs> well done. Yeah. On her part. Um, and, and a lot of the speech really was just a lot of fluff in a lot of ways. I mean, she had some interesting things to say, but... Uh, no, at, no insights into George? No, no really grand insights into George. She had a few, you know, anecdotes about, like, you well, know... Give us one. Um, there, was, there was one about, you know, Condi Rice having a run in her pantyhose and how that was the first time in American history that a president has had to wait for, you know, uh, her, his national security advisor to change her pantyhose. Isn't it? <laughs> It was just a lot of stuff like that. Like there wasn't. Really... I have to admit, it never happened with Big New Brzezinski. No, no, it did not, or or Kissinger for that matter. <laughs> Although we do not know about J. Edgar Hoover. Well, in Hoover's case, Steve, I think the jury may still be out. <laughs> my my. Um, okay, so she was. It was all kind of a fluff, a fluff hour. And did anyone feel better about the current administration when she was done? Because I'm sure that was her purpose. Um. You know, she she tried, I think, in a lot of ways to, to, to humanize Bush, and I think, you know, she, she tiptoed around a lot of issues. She did address um, some of the intelligence failures and the weapons of mass destruction stuff. Now, what she had to say about the missing weapons? Um, she Well, she said, basically, you know, that the administration was lied to by their own intelligence agencies, mm. even though Dick Cheney went over to the CIA and pressured these people to falsify the intelligence. And, um, I mean, she, she sort of admitted some guilt in that, but in a lot of ways, um, she just kind of covered her tracks and, and is going to continue to cover her tracks for Bush. So I think the people who came in supporting Bush probably came out with the same image of the president, and the people such as myself who are quite skeptical of the administration probably left with the same opinion. All right, well, I guess you're going to talk about this at some length on your program tomorrow morning. Uh, yes, I will, 8.30 tomorrow morning. All right, well, we'll try and tune in and, and hear a little fuller uh, fleshing out of, of what took place on Monday night. Well, we, we can only hope so. All right, well, Steve, thanks. Thanks for uh, updating us, and we'll try and tune in tomorrow. Thank you very much, Doug. All right. Night. We go down to Baghdad, Iraq, to speak with our Middle East correspondent, Colonel Skip Klondike. Nice to be here, sir. How is the weapons of a mass destruction a search going now that those inspectors have disbanded, Colonel? I'm glad you asked. Uh-huh. Well, where are they? Oh, I believe you asked how the search was going. I did. It proceeds apace. We anticipate that something may yet be located, so the search continues under private contract. Private. As you know, we use private firms to outsource functions that used to be undertaken by the military. Take our weapon buyback program in Iraq. We involve the private sector and use market forces now. Uh-huh, like, like that program to buy back shoulder-fired rocket launchers. Yes. Where the Pentagon offers $500 apiece. Yes. Yet they go for $5,000 in the black market, I understand. Yes, I have heard that. But you're using the market as a key to the price. In theory, yes. Well, then the market would say the launchers are worth $5,000. Well, we're having difficulty establishing the correct price for certain commodities, sir. I understand, like gasoline. Yes, that's one. Well, Halliburton apparently thought uh, the gasoline was worth millions more than the market would dictate and then charge taxpayers accordingly. Freedom isn't free, sir. Well, no. Military-industrial contractors have certainly proven that. Work continues to establish what is the most appropriate valuation for contractor supplies. We feel that a reasonable profit is not only permissible, but vital for success. 
Well, what's the limit at which uh, war profits turn excessive? We don't like the term war profits. Not at all, sir. No? It has such a negative ring. We much prefer freedom income. Well, the Pentagon used to buy nuts that I'd get in the hardware store for four cents for 2100 bucks, if my memory serves me right. Well, we've cracked down on such price gouging. Nothing over 2,700% markup gets by us these days. So you pay a dollar eight for a four cent nut? At most. Look, typically no more than 92 cents. We're proud of this economizing, keeping us lean and mean, if you will. But suppose we did locate a weapon, I think you'd agree that rewarding our contractors is fair. Well, the feat would be quite a rabbit out of a hat, it would seem. May I add that the WMD search continues, continues full force. Who's looking? A private team headed by Orenthal J. Simpson with special envoys Cato Kalin and Al Cowlings continues in search-related program activities. OJ's team for, uh, for weapons of mass destruction-related program activities. Precisely. Isn't OJ preoccupied with finding the real killers? Douglas, his team just completed a search of the Basra Country Club back nine and certified them fully weapons-free. Very reassuring. Now his posse's moved on to the 19th hall of the Mosul Municipal Course to check for program-related activities. Well, any uh, weapons program-related activity leads? They've checked all cases of Johnny Walker Red Label and Sky Vodka. Okay. Ahmed Chalabi's people tipped us that Molotov cocktails were being hidden. Well, Colonel, bottle bombs are not mass destruction weapons. But anyway, it was all a misunderstanding over the Arabic for cocktail. Simpson's now been joined by another search team anyway. Who? Mr. Hideo Sadeki, just arrived from Scotland. Scotland Yard? No, Scotland's Loch Ness. He was engaged in a high-tech search for the creature that many feel resides in the lake there. A Nessie researcher? You might call him that. He's really top-notch, however. Well, top-notch, Colonel, in what department? Photo recon. You know, Douglas, in just 17 years of research, he's obtained nine photos, count them, nine photos of what some take as a fin-like appendage of an aquatic reptile. And which others take as driftwood. Well, his research is undaunted by pessimistic data and long odds. Well, he's perfect for Iraq, then. We think he'll really be an asset. Colonel, intelligence failures are currently being blamed for the administration's assuring the world that Saddam had weapons. Yes, that is our story, and we're sticking to it. But this scenario requires, across the board, intelligence failures of electronic intercepts, satellite reconnaissance, yes. on-the-ground data gathering, and right. virtually all avenues of spycraft. Well, I suppose. Failures by the CIA, the NSA, the MI6, Israel's Mossad, and the combined aggregate efforts of the intelligence agencies of France, Germany, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Turkey, Russia, and Jordan. Well, that is one possibility, certainly, yes. The other being that the Bush administration lied its ass off. Well, lapses in intelligence are always regrettable, sir. They are being looked into, you know. Yeah, well, so is Enron. Three years later, they still can't indict Ken Lay. Well, I can't speak to that. Well, what, what about the insurances of inspectors that there were no uh, such weapons in Iraq before we attacked? Well, better to be safe than sorry, they say. But, Colonel, which is easier to believe? Inexplicable, unprecedented, global failures of epic proportions in all avenues of intelligence gathering on weapons, or that the administration lied to grab Iraq's oil? Well, those intelligence failures were such a shame. Doggone it. Yeah. I'm just glad they appointed this blue ribbon panel to look into them. They'll get to the bottom of this. Yeah, a new Warren Commission. Should they publish their whitewash absolving the administration now, do you think, or wait till the election? 
Making a clean breast of it is probably best done sooner, I think, but that's just a personal opinion. Well, thank you for coming on once again, Colonel Skip Klondike. My pleasure, sir.